Well, the other day I had an interesting uh, email that caught my attention. It was a survey that I could take that would measure your journey through life. And since the series of messages as I'm preaching on is entitled The Journey to Christmas, I thought, well, maybe this will be kind of interesting. And they said it would measure 10 different areas of my life. Look at all those areas that I could find out how I'm doing. Well, I decided I would just take one uh, area of my life and, and see what the measure of that was because I didn't have a lot of time. Um, and so I picked the area called avocational. Now that means what is your life like outside of your vocation? So what is my life like outside of doing church work is what I wanted to find out. Okay. So I took this little survey and it gave me a score of 20 out of 100. It said, you have a low life. In other words, they were saying, you need a life. Oh. I thought, though, that's kind of interesting because Mary, in reflecting on her life, but not through that email survey, said, God has seen the lowly state of his maidservant. Mary rated her life as low. But listen to the other statements around this and see what she said about her life. She said, my spirit burst with joy over my life-giving God, for he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. And from here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. Mary was excited about her score and her journey through life. She was excited, saying, my spirit is bursting with joy. Why? Because of God's tender gaze upon her. She saw, she experienced what the Apostle John would remind us of. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As we reflect on the Christmas account and think of that journey that Mary went through, from the beginning with the angel telling her she would be pregnant, though she is a virgin, that this would be the Son of God, and then going through that engagement and married, uh, married uh, marital period with her husband, Joseph, and the journey to Bethlehem, the birth, all of that, we call that the journey to Christmas. She would probably say it was a journey of love. Well, this morning, let's reflect on the angel talking to Mary. Let's reflect on Mary's response through her song of praise and see how the journey to Christmas is a journey of love, even a journey of love for you and me. Now, sometimes Christmas is touted as, you know, the season of giving. 
and a season of, of joy, of happiness, and, and family and friends. But sometimes it's also highlighted as a, a season of love. We know that season of love best as God's love for us. So as we reflect on what happened to Mary, the angel's words to her, and her words of response in her song, let's note three things about that journey of God's love for us. The first is that it's timeless. Now, sometimes people might uh, say, oh, yeah, the Christmas story, that's just one of those timeless stories, you know? I mean, it's been told for like 2,000 years, right? It's one of those stories that everybody is familiar with, and it's so tender and heartwarming. But that's not what I mean by timeless. Listen to how the angel referred to it when he talked to Mary. He said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. The reason he described God, this journey to Christmas as a journey of love was because of God's grace, his tender favor on Mary. We like to refer to uh, God's grace as his unconditional love. That, he, that is, he loves us without any conditions that we have met. It's not something we've earned or worked for or proven ourselves to be worthy of. And there's no limits to it. Mary didn't see any specialness in her. Mary knew she needed a Savior. In fact, in her song of response to the angel's message, she said, God, my Savior, has come. She recognized her need for a Savior. So there wasn't anything special in Mary that deserved this special visit from God. More so, what we see about God's love being timeless is in the very words of God himself, which we just heard in that reading from Jeremiah, where he said, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. God was describing his love toward us as timeless, calling it, an everlasting covenant. It was a sincere promise that he would keep, a covenant, and it was everlasting. Now, sometimes we think everlasting is like, uh, you know, the length of a sermon or a long day at work. We, we tend to always look forward when we think of ever, everlasting. So everlasting is, is heaven, right? It's never going to end. But everlasting also goes back the other way. Before time began. Did you know that God had you in mind before he even created this world? God's plan for us is eternal in both directions. What amazes me is that God had eternal love for us even when he knew that when he'd create us, we would rebel against him. That we would sin and want to go our own way. 
Yet he still loved us and still had a plan to keep us as his children, his family. The angel reveals that plan to Mary. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel was talking about eternity in both ways. That God had this already planned, that he would send his own son into the world to save sinners and make them his forever. That kingdom that he talks about, it's the kingdom of God, and you're in it. It's a kingdom in which God lives in you and rules over all things. We often think of a kingdom as, you know, a, a, like a country, the rule of some powerful people. But the kingdoms of human beings rise and fall all the time. God's kingdom is eternal, and God's kingdom, his rule, is in our hearts. Therefore, what is really being described is an everlasting condition. It's not just a promise, not just a bunch of words, but an actual thing that God set in motion and that's living inside of us. It's the condition that we are in, in relationship with God. Mary describes it in her song, responding to the angel's message. She said, those who hunger for him, that is for God, will always be filled. But the smug and the self-satisfied, he will send away empty. The smug, the self-satisfied, all those people who only think about themselves, all the people who only think about life here and now, they think about the physical. They think about the maybe 80-some years that we live here. They're not thinking about God. They're not thinking about their relationship with God. They're not thinking about eternity. But Mary says, God's eternal love has changed us, has put us into a new condition with him so that we hunger for him. And because we hunger for him, he fills us always. That's the condition we're in. We're always full then of God's love. Have, have you ever felt that maybe God has uh, been ignoring you? That maybe things going on in, in your life, um, you feel like you know, God isn't paying attention? Or maybe that he, he doesn't care? Have you ever wondered a little bit about the, about the future, what your life is going to be like, how things are going to go? And maybe you wonder, why isn't God doing more to make my life better? Well, if you ever think that way, stop and remember 
that God's love for you is timeless. Your life is all planned. God knows what you're going through. He cares, and he has a plan for you. There is nothing that's going to get in its way. There's nothing that's going to stop it or ruin it or change from what God desires for you. His love for you is timeless. And if you ever find yourself maybe just focused on the physical, that is, how life is for me now, if you ever find yourself just, just looking a little bit beyond the point of your nose, just looking at the here and now, and not thinking about eternity, then remember what, God, what Jesus said. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Remember that God is blessing you now with his love. And that love is like a spring that just keeps on bubbling and giving, giving you eternal life. That's God's timeless love for you. So at this time of the year, it's time for us to reflect on God's timeless love. That great gift of love, which was embodied in Jesus, his own son, who came here to be with you and for you. You have God's timeless love on your journey. Now, the second thing I note about God's love, is not only that it's timeless, but it's also changeless. I'm sure you have probably experienced when when somebody has said something that they would do something for you or whatever it might be, um, when we, we hear promises made by, by politicians, for example, uh, maybe promises made by other people, uh, might be a promise about a particular thing, some, something we buy, and it comes with a guarantee, right? Well, what does a guarantee mean? It just means that there's possible that something will go wrong and then they'll either fix it or replace it. And we've probably all experienced promises that have been broken by people, whether they were sincerely given or just said to get our attention. We've probably all experienced products that didn't meet our expectations. And it changed. But that's not true with God's words or his working. They don't change. Nothing happens that goes against what God has said or what God does. There's nothing that gets in the way, not even us. Our own sins, our, our faithlessness, our failings will not stop God's love or change what he wants to do and what he does do for us. And yet what's interesting about God's changeless love is that it changes everything about our life. Listen how Mary reflected on that in her song. Because he can never forget to show mercy, he has helped his chosen servant Israel, keeping his promises to Abraham and to his descendants forever. I love that phrase at the beginning. 
He can never forget to show mercy. Have you ever forgotten to do something for somebody? You sincerely promised to do it, but for whatever reason, you just forgot. Or maybe something got in the way and you just weren't able to fulfill it. Can't happen with God. His promises, his words, his working, always changeless. They'll always happen. Every promise he makes, it's kept. Every sin we commit, it's forgiven. Every trouble we experience, God is working in it to bless us. Every prayer we speak, it's heard and answered. Every enemy that confronts us, it's defeated in Christ. We're conquerors through him. Even death has been changed to be a blessing to bring us to eternal life. God's love is changeless. Well, have you ever relied on somebody? Relied on something to work for you? Maybe it was a financial investment that you thought would be good and would bring you some good earnings, but it failed. Maybe you followed the advice of your doctor, but it just wasn't working. Maybe there was some action in a friendship that you thought would really be helpful and encouraging for you, but didn't work out that way. You know, it's easy to get disappointed when we rely on people or things that can fail. But we'll never be disappointed when we count on the changeless love of God to bless us. Because every promise he makes, every act he brings about will always be for blessing. Continuously, his love is changeless. Well, since that love is timeless and it's changeless, that brings us to one conclusion. It is a perfect love. I want you to listen how John again describes that love. He writes, this is the love. Now, previously when I read the passage, the word the was not in there. Because in our Bible translations, I don't know why, they leave it out. But in the original Greek language, John said, this is the love. The pure one, the perfect one, the only source of love, the only thing that gives us love, the love we can depend on. And then he tells us what it is. It's not that we love God. It's not something that we did or that we were deserving of. But it's simply that he loved us. Even in our sinful, rebellious, weak, faithless condition, God loved us. And he proves it. He sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, John is simply saying, if you want to see perfect love in action... It's there in your redemption. In God, bind you back to make you his forever. Now, John described that a little bit earlier in that same letter. He wrote, you are my dear children and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, 
And who among us does not sin? If anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. I love that phrase, a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father. We might be more familiar with a translation who says, we have an advocate. An advocate is somebody who speaks up to defend somebody else. And that's what Jesus, and that's what the Holy Spirit is called. Someone who speaks up for us. How does Jesus speak up for us? With words that speak of forgiveness. Continuously. He speaks face to face with the Father on our behalf to bring about that forgiveness, that removal of all of our sin. In fact, that word advocate really could be translated as one who speaks to cancel the curse. Because there was a curse that we deserve for our sin. But Jesus speaks to cancel it. He said, it's finished. The payment's done. The punishment is over. We're forgiven. Then he's called the righteous one, meaning he was the one who was perfect. And it's because of his perfection that you and I are seen as perfect by God. Because through faith, God credits that perfection of Jesus to us. And then John adds this. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the one whose blood was shed, as John would say, and cleanses us from all sin. But then look what he goes on to say. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. From Adam all the way to the last human being. For those who know and love God, to those who even hate him or don't know him, their sins have been paid for. John speaks of a perfect love that covers everyone all the time, without any change. Timeless, changeless, perfect. When we get gifts, we always give some kind of a response, don't we? Happy to get it. We love it and maybe express our thanks for it. And that's exactly what Mary would do now as she realizes her journey through life is a journey of love. She would say, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There are a lot of ways that we celebrate Christmas. The most important, of course, is to celebrate Christ. To put him first, and to keep him foremost in all of our celebrations. But then also, to live his love. John would go on and say, if he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. Loving others 
is how we can celebrate Christmas. Not just loving people when they are in need, but loving people at every opportunity to show them that the love you have, that perfect love of God. So as we are journeying to Christmas this year, and as we continue to journey through our life, let's look at this as a season of giving, a season of hope, a season of rejoicing, but also a season of love. See and appreciate God's love for you first. In other words, rejoice. Celebrate God's love in Jesus. And then reflect that love in your relationships with others. When I took that email survey about my life journey, of course I had to type in my email address and you know what that meant. So every day now I get these invitations to explore my, explore my life journey more and take this webinar to find out how I can improve my life and apparently I need improvement. But I don't need their webinar because I'm on the journey to Christmas. It's a journey in God's love. Amen.